Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great music. I've been on hiatus because um, the last few uh, Fridays uh, were not 30 minutes worth of music and chat, but were long form interviews, which I found much more enjoyable. Problem is with doing interviews of that length is that you truly have to find somebody interesting somebody of note to interview so instead of friday being a weekly show it's going to be um as of when i bump into somebody um who really piques my interest and i found that person today um elisa yes is it really possible to love somebody who's paid you to sleep with them yeah, I I think it is. Uh, I so yeah, I I would say that um, I'm a very spiritual person, and a deep part of my spirituality is the ability of um, like the healing force of love. Yeah, I really believe that you can love anybody. Uh, it's obviously like I'm not in love with the with everybody. Um, it's not a it's not necessarily a romantic love. It's not a love that's going to change my life or have me want to invite them home for the holidays, but I really even believe that you can love the person at the corner store or your server at a restaurant or um, the homeless person on the street or really anybody. It's just, it's just a matter of seeing their divinity and opening your heart to them. So, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> so you talked about the person from the corner store and I'm thinking about the person at my corner store, right? And I... <laughs> And I like them. I like them. So we're just talking about on the spectrum of like, you know, this is like a a seven or so, isn't it? That, you, you, you know, this person isn't at all rocking your world. And most people would say, you know what? Yeah, I like the, you know, I, I like my neighbours. I like my postman or whatever. But I'm not going to uh, be intimate with them. I'm not going to take my clothes off take their clothes off and and be intimate with them so your calibration of like is is just slightly different from everybody else but it's not love is it tell 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 me i'm wrong tell me (laughs) that that there's this deep divinity that that you see within them and and i've got you all wrong well it's complicated and obviously i don't just i i don't have the capacity to just walk around loving everybody all the time like no i don't Mm. have that capacity that's a lot but if i decide to and if i choose to and if i'm conscious of it in a moment then it's very easy for me to open my heart to them in that way they probably don't even know but in most cases they don't know but i'm just deciding to love them and to open my heart to them. I just believe that our hearts have um, like a a magnetic force or an energy that when you do uh, think of someone that way, then they can feel it, even if they don't know it and that it's lovely for them. Why does a man decide to spend $200 to, to have sex with you? So, okay. (laughs) So I'm an escort and a GFE provider. GFE stands for girlfriend experience. It's a type of, um, it's a type of session where you have sex, but there's like connection. There's kissing, there's, um, giving and receiving of oral sex. And those aren't always standard in escorting, um, 
sessions. So GFE is specifically those things. Um, so, okay. I, I'm, I'm looking at your website. So I'm a punter and I'm looking at your website and I, I've got $300 and, um, and I call you up or I email you, however I contact you. Um, what exactly am I going to get? What the, you know, break this down for me. You know, um, I want bang for my buck, so to speak. Um, what do I get for, for those $300? Right. So, yeah, like I said, we can't really talk about any of that. Like, I can't even say I'll make love to you. And if you ask me questions about sexual services, I have to say, I think you're confused. I don't provide sexual services. Um, yeah, because we literally just are not. It's 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 OK to say you're an escort. That's legal. It's mm-hmm. OK to say that you charge X amount of money for one hour or for two hours for your time. Charging money for your time is legal. Um, but it's not okay to guarantee any sexual act in that time. So I'm not able to discuss any sexual act, even French kissing. Okay. So, yeah. So because of that, there are review, there are review boards, Mm -hmm. which thanks to some recent horrible legislation against us called FOSTA and SESTA, we, a lot of our websites have been shut down, including two very highly used review boards here in the Bay Area. It's basically like if you had a small business in Yelp, just shut down. Um, so I had many, many, many years of reviews online, like seven years, eight years of reviews online, and they're gone. So now there's a new website, so we're building reviews again. But that's one way that clients find out about what your services are. The reviews are also not sexually explicit, but they do say things like she'll do everything you want and more or, you know, whatever. They'll they'll allude to your services in some way on the reviews so clients can read the reviews and get an idea of what kind of um, service you provide and how satisfied people are with your service. How has um, client sexual... Um, wants, needs, desires maybe changed in the time that you've been a sex worker? Well, I wouldn't say that the clients have changed, but who I attract has changed and what my boundary are, boundaries are has changed. But I used to think I just had to do anything. <laughs> I just didn't know that you could say no to certain things. Um, like I knew you didn't have to have anal sex, but I thought if someone wanted to like really roughly... Uh, throat fuck me, then I then I should allow that to happen. But you know, I don't have to do that. And over time, I realize that I don't really like that. So I don't do that anymore. And if people want that, I tell them, yeah, I'm just not your person. There's so many providers out there who adore that. But that's, I that's not one of my things that I like. Um, I used to also do a lot more submissive work. I'm a sum, I'm a submissive um, in my personal life. And I used to do a lot of pro full service submissive sessions. Um, and then I just somewhere in my personal life, I became less submissive. I mean, obviously in work, I'm still very service oriented, but I I'm not so like very much like I'll do whatever you want me to do anymore. And so somehow that shifted. And when that shifted, I just stopped getting requests for submissive sessions. It's so interesting. It's really like kind of where your energy is, is where they meet you and where they come to you. Now I'm offering, I've been offering intimacy and relationship coaching sessions for a long time, but now that my heart is really in that, I'm getting more requests for those. So I'm doing more just intimacy and relationship coaching, which is just talk only clothing on no touch, just like a coaching session. Uh, I'm doing a lot of those now. I do a lot of cuddle sessions now, which are clothing on no sexual energy at all. Just like nurturing, holding, um, cuddling. That's it. Uh, so I'm also now offering guided medicine journeys with mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin. So I'm getting more requests for that. So it's really interesting how wherever I feel, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I really do just always get what I want. I feel <laughs> thank you to the universe and where my energy is. That seems to be the, the clients that I'm attracting to me. I've been doing this work for seven years. I was busy from the very start and I didn't have professional photos. I didn't have a well-written ad. I mean, my ad was written decently enough. Um, it was very short and to the point. Um, but 
I believe that people could feel my energy from my photos or something. I don't know what it was, but that had them want to come see me. And over time, I've realized that that just has to do with my, well, it's a lot of things. I mean, I'm very sexually playful and uninhibited and unashamed and things like that that are that really um, people enjoy and are lacking in a lot of our society. But also just this ability I have to really love people and to nurture them and to care for them and to make these deep connections with them. So the obvious question is what happened seven years ago for you decide for you to decide to go into this line of work? And I think most people now are going to expect some woe of trauma or something really bad happened in your life. You couldn't pay your rent, et cetera, et cetera. But the way that you're speaking to me, the way that um, there's an obvious um, connection that you feel with, with not only with your clients, but with humanity and wanting to give love. I've got a sneaky feeling um, your answer could be atypical. Yeah. So good, good question. (laughs) Um, I feel like from a very young age, when I first heard about what prostitution was, I learned about it on one of the cop shows that are real popular. Um, and I was a really amorous child. I really wanted sex when I was 13, although I didn't have it until I was 16, but I was really, really, really wanting it. And why, what, why do you think that was? I mean, I think it's just normal. Like one person told me that sex is one of the things we don't have to be taught to do. It's like walking, right? Mm-hmm. And and when that when that awakens in people is different ages. How strongly it awakens in people is different, but it generally awakens. You know, it's our natural biologically biological imperative, right? Um also my parents have very strong sex drives, both of them, so I also believe it's partially just genetic which feels really normalizing for me. I also did experience childhood sexual trauma, which very well could have awakened my sexuality earlier. Um, And certainly I have a lot of wounding from that. And I'm happy to go into that if you like. But I don't see myself as a broken or psychologically damaged person, which is kind of the narrative around people who do this work. So... I first learned about this work on a cop show and Mm -hmm. I saw that the woman was a prostitute and I figured out that she was having sex for money and I was like, holy shit, that's a job? Like, what? That's That just sounds perfect. For everything I can imagine that I would love to do in the world, make money and have sex, that just sounds amazing. And, And really drawn to sex with strangers also. Yeah, but I also got the message very clearly from that same show that this prostitute was probably either dead or um, a drug addict or something like that. Uh, We're horribly represented in the media, of course. Um, I got the idea that it wasn't something that you should ever say that you want to do and it wasn't okay and it was bad and all these things. So I, I just put it away and I never thought about it again. Until I was in my early 30s, I had a couple people who talked to me about it in kind of a, in a way that was very normalizing. Like I had this downstairs neighbor who was um, in her 60s and she and I used to talk all the time. I used to smoke cigarettes. So we'd have cigarettes and drink coffee and just talk about everything in the world. And one day she told me when I was young and I lived in San Francisco, I was a prostitute. Men used to pay me Hmm. to do all these things with me. And it was just such a magical time of my life. And it really blew my mind that someone could say something like that. Just say it like it was normal and it was okay and there was nothing wrong with it. And I was just like, wow. Wow. I, I really couldn't believe it. I was just like, you can just say that? Like, that's amazing. Um... So that happened. I had a coworker who I kind of was fooling around with. Um, nothing serious, but he told me, I think you would be really great at GFE. And I said, well, what's GFE? And he told me that it's this type of prostitution. And I was like, wow, he's telling me that I would be a really great prostitute. Like, <laughs> should I be, <laughs> should I be insulted? <laughs> but I just, it didn't feel insulting. It was just kind of interesting information how did that conversation come about 
No, he just told me. I mean, we were playing around. Like, we had been having a little bit of an affair. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just told me. He was like, you would be really great at this. And he just felt something from me. Really silly question. But what type of affair were you having where he says, where your partner, your amour, your lover says, you should be sleeping with other people for money? (laughs) <laughs> well, he wasn't my partner. He wasn't my lover. He was a coworker. He was married. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just like sneak kisses here and there. It was like hot, um, but it wasn't. Yeah, but we weren't okay. having a full, full love affair. Um, and yeah, he was really interested at the time in like polyamory and things like that that he didn't think his wife would go along with. But he was just he was exploring a lot of things and yeah I guess one thing he was exploring was GFE I don't know if he had hired a provider but he knew a lot about it and something inspired him to say that to me which was kind of bananas but I I never forgot it I still had all these weird ideas about prostitution of course I moved to this is I lived in Sacramento I moved to San Francisco I started hearing terms like sex positive and sex worker and I'm just thinking like wow it all sounds pretty nice it doesn't sound so terrible Mm -hmm. and um i was dating a lot on craigslist casual encounters at the time like a lot like i was seeing a lot of men on there and you know just like right next you know on the same page in craigslist just a little over to the right was the adult services so i was thinking well i'm having all this sex maybe i should be making money for it And I had moved back to San Francisco to go back to school. So I was a student. I wasn't working. I was, you know, I didn't have a ton of money. I was fine. But, you know, the money also didn't sound terrible. So I didn't know what I was doing. I put some ads on there. This is 2008. And and I saw some men. And and it was like really edgy and scary. I wasn't in a super grounded place. I was drinking a lot. I was kind of freshly out of a pretty abusive relationship going through a lot I was in therapy going to therapy like twice a week just like I had just started therapy for the first time just feeling like I really needed to break my patterns around just some old old stuff like self-worth and abuse and just stuff like that and was the sex for you then healing was it a way of healing was it a way of coping was it escape I mean, I would definitely call it a coping mechanism. I was not healing in that moment. Like, I was really in a dark place. Like, just so much alcohol. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't healing then yet. And the, no, the sex wasn't healing. The healing, the sex was like, I was just looking for something to feed my soul, to feed, to fill this like hole in my soul. And so I just kept filling it, you know, with like alcohol and sex and alcohol and sex. And then when I started, when I started dabbling in sex work in 2008, it was like also money, you know. But what what type of sex were you having? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I was having drunk sex mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was just sex, just regular vanilla sex. Um, just a lot of it. Um, so tell us about that first paid encounter. Oh, God, which one was my first? <laughs> well, tell us about a memorable um, early encounter. When you're still... My memory is really hazy from that time. That's not, this time is not when I officially started sex work, mm-hmm. by the way. I dabbled a bit in 08 for two or three months. As a way of getting over your abusive relationship? I mean, it was a lot of things. Like, I was in this dark place. I was having a lot of sex. I was, yeah. I was already on Craigslist. The adult services was right there. It was kind of, I was kind of in a self-destructive place too. Like, and this all felt like very dangerous, you know, sex work. Um, now, now you see, I started um, a question some time ago by saying that, <laughs> people are going to be expecting you to say that there was some kind of trauma in your life and and you've now said it yeah it's true it's true it's true it's true but i just can considering that you are so positive about the work that you do can you then understand when people go haha you know 
a woman can only do this this type of work if at some point she's had some kind of trauma and she has been uh, broken, that something has fundamentally gone wrong. I mean, I will say that like almost all women in this planet have trauma and not all of them are sex workers. So, um, you know, there's plenty of trauma. It's hard to find any profession that's not packed with women who have had trauma because almost all women have had trauma, experienced these kinds of traumas in one form or another. But there's something unique about the stigma that this profession has, even though as you, we're told uh, time immemorial that it's the oldest of all professions. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, right. And a lot of my friends who are sex workers do not have any childhood sexual trauma. A lot of them do. Um, a lot of them weren't, have not been raped. Like me, I have not been raped. A lot of them have been. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's like um, any, I think it's almost like any other industry, <laughs> you know? Really, there's a lot of women who've been raped and there's a lot of women who've had childhood sexual trauma out there. Um, this, this industry does have a particular, um, it has a lot of stigmas and my therapist certainly fit into all those stigmas when I was in therapy in 2008 and she was like very concerned about me and felt like I was re-traumatizing myself and felt like it was psychologically damaging to me. So I stopped doing the work. I only did it for a very short time and did you enjoy it? I did. I, well, I did enjoy it. I did also feel that it, I felt at the time like it was kind of like it was dangerous. Like I was putting myself in dangerous places and that wasn't uh, I didn't feel good about that when I was clear headed. Um, it felt very Were, were you still drinking heavily when you started? Yeah, I wasn't, I never drank that much for my sessions, to be honest. Like, my sessions were pretty sober, because I didn't go out with them. Like, as, as opposed to my dates, we would go out at a bar and drink and then go home. So I didn't do that with my clients. I would just go meet them and then be intimate with them and then leave. Um, so that it, they weren't as impaired, to be honest. Um, I knew right away I was great at it. And by that, I mean, I knew right away that I was making real connections with people that I was being intimate with. And that's not that from the clients I was talking to, that wasn't so common in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you would compare, you'd get your clients to compare and contrast. Is that what you're saying? I mean, they would just say things. I was not trying. I was not trying to get them to say things like that but they would just say things they would say wow you're really connecting to me and i this is not something i normally feel when i hire a provider okay and, and what does connecting to you mean from the man's perspective what are you doing yeah so i'm sure you've had sex tell me royfield <laughs> I, 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 I tell you what right i i i've had sex once or twice <laughs> i think as i as i get older i appreciate the difference between um good sex intimate sex and perfunctory sex um in my 20s all sex was good and <laughs> right. I back at it and a lot of it was somewhat kind of perfunctory and you can have a certain energy because you're younger and you can do it all night and and come three or four times as a guy and just keep going and you think that that is good but it's not necessarily good right right and you know the difference between when you're connecting for intimacy and when it's just um and when it's disconnected but i'm interested in your perspective on this as, as somebody who <laughs> had lots of sex but also um had <laughs> lots of connection with men I will tell you that, yeah, it's it's a little hard to put into words, but I will say that for me, having sex without connection makes me feel very empty and sad. So for me, because of that, it becomes very important for me to create a genuine connection with someone. Um, or to feel that you are connect yeah 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 exactly uh, exactly uh, exactly uh, but the question was the initial question was before you tripped me up but 
tripped me up and asked me a question <laughs> back, and, and, and so you could, is how does a man experience a connection, a sexual connection with you? How do you think that um, he's experiencing that? I mean, I'm not sure, but I... So, okay. A lot of connection is just about dropping in and being present. Really, really tuning into that other person energetically, which I feel like you can do when you're kissing. With a French kiss, you ha- you kind of have to tune into the other person. I mean, you don't have to. You can just wag your tongue around however you want and, that- and pretend the other person's not there. That's fine. If that's, you know, some people, that's how they know how to kiss. But even if you are a person like that, if the person who's guiding everything, which is me, because they're coming to me for an experience. So they generally let me guide it. So if the person who's guiding the experience slows it down, puts the presence on connection, puts the presence on my tongue is now wrapping around your tongue. My lips are kissing your lips. Now maybe I'll slowly kiss your ear, (laughs) move down to your neck, lick you. Maybe I'll look into your eyes, really look into your eyes, see your soul melt into you. Then these things start to create a connection. How much of this is performative? And how much is truly organic, is spiritual, is otherworldly if you've been sleeping with tens, hundreds of men? You know, how how much of this is I'm truly in the moment connecting with this person and how much of this is I know if I do this, at least he will feel that I'm connecting with him. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, it's a, it's definitely a combination of all those things. Um, these, these are things that I know will create a connection. So that's why I do them. Um, but again, because I said, if I don't feel connected for sex, I feel empty and sad. Mm. So I'm creating this connection for myself, for me. I'm creating something that feels connected so that I feel nourished by the lovemaking and not depleted or taken from or used in some way. Um, So there are tools, like I even teach workshops like Secrets to Creating Intimacy with Sacred Prostitute, Elisa Sophia, right? So I know these are like, there are tools, these are tools for creating intimacy but they work to create real intimacy. Mm -hmm. Also, also I do just have like a really giant heart. So I really do want to connect and love every person that I'm intimate with. I, it makes me feel better. And how long does that love last for then? It lasts just for the session. (laughs) 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 yeah it's like a very in the moment love obviously I have many clients who have been seeing me for five six seven years because I officially started in 2011 I've been working steadily since then what I did in 2008 was just a little dabbling and I don't have any clients from that time but when I officially started in 2011 I have clients who've been seeing me the whole time who see me every two weeks or once a month for seven years five six seven years for them, the way I explain it is that we get to have these long love affairs that never leave the container of session. They never leave. They stay in that container. But they are these long, beautiful, deep love affairs. I love them. I love all those people right now. Like, I always love those people. The people that I've developed, like, a long-lasting love with over time. I'm not in love with them. I don't want to run away with them. There is one that I always imagine that we're (laughs) traveling the world and having sex everywhere all over the world. But (laughs) for the most part, I'm not in love with them. I don't want to change their lives in any way. I don't want to change my life in any way to spend more time with them. But I do love them all the time. Describe the difference between sex 
that you have with that client who you imagine going around the world with having sex everywhere with um, (laughs) a client who you slept with yesterday and feel free this is a podcast which only adults are listening to so feel free to uh, give us a little bit of detail how is it different I mean yeah it's yeah I mean there's just levels of our heart of like our hearts have like many levels to them like how much they open and how deep they feel things <laughs> this client that I always imagine making love to in Paris his name is Paul he's so beautiful he's yeah, I definitely feel like he and I had a very intense love affair for a while. I, I was seeing him very regularly for probably a couple years. I still see him, but now it's like very occasionally, like maybe a couple times a year. Um, but I still, my heart still just like loves him so much. And yeah, when he's inside me, I just feel like we're transported to another time, another world, a world of possibilities where he and I could travel the world together and yeah and he knows he knows that I feel all these things it's like our big joke but I always imagine us making love in Paris um but he's married he's his his life is very defined my time with him is very confined to what it is and that's beautiful we we still love each other we tell each other we love each other and we both honor the container we honor the the agreements that we have with each other. And how has sex with Paul changed over the time that you've been with him? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. My sex with him was great from the first session. Like, it really surprised us, like, how... I mean, he's not... <laughs> he's a little older, and he so he can kind of, you know... Um, coming usually is not like a fast thing for him it can take a while but I think the first time we had sex he came like very fast to the point where he was shocked and you know um yeah I don't know we just have we've always had a very strong connection we still do I don't know that the sex I mean obviously our hearts have deepened into each other and who what we mean to each other has just grown and deepened into something that we really adore and trust about each other but I don't know that the sex has changed it's still amazing and it always has been and you'd still love the container if um there was no monetary transaction at the end no the money creates the container the money creates the container okay yeah yeah that's what creates the agreement the agreement is this amount of time for this amount of money that's the agreement that's what creates the container it's like a therapist container. It's the same. It's very strong container. You can go as deep into intimacy as you want in that container. But that container, you don't get that for free. <laughs> That's a service <laughs> you pay for to be able to go that deep with someone, to have someone hold that much of you for that amount of time. That's a service. Mm-hmm. How do your parents feel about what you do? Oh, so, such cute stories. So my dad doesn't really talk about it, but he definitely seems to support me. He's a union guy, and he definitely gets it from a labor rights perspective. He, he like It's so interesting. All union people, even if they've never thought about prostitution one way or another, or even if they always thought it was bad, once you talk to them about it from a labor rights perspective, they're like, well, yeah, of course, you deserve basic labor rights, which we don't have. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, but other than that, he doesn't talk about it. I mean, we, we like allude to it sometimes and like make a joke, but he's not really into full discussion. Um, (laughs) but it's fine. He loves me. I know it. And my mom, she's so cute. When I first told her, um, it took me four and a half years to come out to everybody. I was doing it kind of one at a time, one at a time. It took me a long time to get to everybody. Uh, my dad was the last one, actually. But um, when I told my mom, um, she was just like, first, <laughs> the first thing she said was, oh, thank God, I thought you were a drug dealer, which I think is funny. <laughs> she thinks that being a prostitute is better than being a drug dealer. I don't know. They seem 
<laughs> I don't see one as being better than the other, but that's kind of funny. And <laughs> my mom said, Oh God, I feel like I shouldn't say this in case someone hears this and knows her. <laughs> but she, she basically thought that she said that she thought that she might have been a prostitute in a past life because she also like really loves sex and is really great at it. And, and you know, my mom, what did you just say that you know that your mom is good at sex? Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. How, how, how do you know? I can just tell by this twinkle in her eye that she gets when she talks about it. I can tell by the word choice. You know, the word she chooses to use. She knows what she's doing. She definitely does. And my mom is this really magical creature. And uh, <laughs> and she's very, like, reserved and not, you know, um, can seem kind of conservative if you don't know her very well. But... You know, my mom always, from the from the little things she said, she was never inappropriate ever. She was always very appropriate um, with us kids. But from the little from the words she said, the little things she said, I always knew, and she gave me this gift that sex was something to be enjoyed, that sex was for our pleasure, that we it's something that we get to have and get to love and get to enjoy. So. I'm so grateful to her for that. And most people don't grow up with that from their parent. So in an appropriate, in a completely appropriate way. So I feel really grateful for that. Why physically, why do you think you're a good prostitute? What do you do physically? So yes, you have a connection and you have a deep, affection for the men that you see but I'm guessing that a lot of men um, don't necessarily want that it's a case of some men are going to say I have a biological urge to release and I don't need all that you know I don't need somebody to look look into my eyes wham bam thank you ma'am five minutes, three minutes, and I'm out of there. Physically, why do you think you are good at what you do? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, that client that you were just describing is the client that makes me feel really sad and empty. Um, And yeah, I have had a handful of clients like that who were not interested in connecting. We're just interested in coming, Mm -hmm. coming to see me, having an orgasm, leaving, um... And those clients are really challenging for me. I haven't had very many. I've had very few. Most people have a true desire to connect, even though they don't think that's why they're coming to see me. They think they're coming to see me for sex and orgasm and oral sex. But really what humans want is connection. I mean, they also want sex, but most humans do not want sex without connection. Um, Okay, that's just... I know that's not really the question you're asking. Physically... Um, I'm, a, I'm just a really amazing lover. Like I, I get turned on very easily. Um, I get wet easily. Uh, I really enjoy sex. I really love all the ways we of touching and feeling each other. I love to give oral sex. I love it. I love worshiping cock. It's like one of my favorite things. I love really making the man feel adored and cared for. I love to kiss him all over his body. I love to run my hair all over his body. Just there's so many ways that I really love a deeply, deeply adoring and worshiping men. Um, Yeah. Was there anything else physically? Oh, and I don't get sore. Like I can just have sex all day and my pussy doesn't get sore. So, I mean, that's also just like... Uh, physically a trait, (laughs) a good trait. Because I am kind of a high-volume provider. I don't work that many days a week. I work like three days a week. But I'll see three or four clients in a day, sometimes five or six, depending on the day. So um, I take those other four days a week to, like, recharge my energy. And I rest a lot in between sessions also. But my physical body does not get tired from sex. So those are some ways... I also love receiving oral sex, which a lot of clients love to give. 
it's actually taught me a lot about receiving oral sex actually is that my clients just love to give it so I've just had to teach myself to relax and enjoy it which has been a great a great thing to learn because wow I really love receiving oral sex we've talked about sex sexuality emotion and connection and music is an integral part of all of those things um, you know music is the is the soundtrack uh-huh. not intended really to um, a lot of sexual encounters you've chosen this week no thing on me by curtis mayfield um what does this piece of music say to you yeah, so I love Curtis Mayfield. I feel like he just really sings from his soul. I, I just really feel him deep inside me with his words and his singing and his music. Um, I'm mostly sober now. I don't drink alcohol anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he taught this song is really about being on a natural high. And that's really how I feel every day I just there's so much in this world to be uh, excited by and and to consider miraculous and beautiful and uplifting that yeah I really just am on that natural high every day I, I, I mean I get sad too I'm not saying I don't get sad or I don't get down or I don't get in funks all those things happen but for the most part my heart feels full of joy and possibility and just ecstatic for this yeah to be in this life i just think you find curtis mayfield an attractive figure because you're like a black man in glasses <laughs> i mean honestly royfield you have no idea how many black men in glasses i've dated <laughs> <laughs> you said even more than you knew with that statement. <laughs> You're onto something there. <laughs> I've met many people over the years, and in my opinion, I have found that people are the same everywhere. They have the same fears, shed similar tears, dying so many years. The oppressed seem to have suffered the most in every continent, coast to coast. Now our lives are in the hands of the pusher man. We break it all down in hopes that you might understand how to protect yourself. Don't make no profit for the man. I'm so glad I've got my own. So glad that I can see my life's a natural hand. The man can put no so glad I've got my own, so glad that I can see my life's a natural hat. The man can't put no thing on me. You're something kind of funny. How the man take your money? He's shoot as he can be. In such a way you'll never see. i 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So the, the man uh, inside of me has to ask you this question. Sure. How many men um, have you slept with um, in... Let, let, let's let's go backwards in, in with this how many men have you slept with in the last week uh how many men do you think you've slept with in the last year and how many men do you think you've slept with um in your adult life yeah it the numbers are kind of hard um i i'm not really sure i i can see about so i can see I guess I would say an average of 12 men a week um, because I work every other week in San Jose and every other week in Oakland. My San Jose weeks are very busy. So I might see like three, four, five, six, seven, eight people in a day mm-hmm. uh, for the three days I work. And my Oakland days are like quite slow. So I'll see like one or two people in a day. So it averages out to about 12 people a week. Um, half of those are regulars, people that I've been sleeping with for a long time. Um, so the other half are new. So basically six a week times 50, that's how many is that? 300? No. Is that what that is? Yeah. 300 men a year, 300 new men a year. So I've slept with thousands of men in my life. And what do you do to protect yourself health wise? How does that work? I am on prep. So that's the HIV vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's a daily pill that I take because I'm on prep. And even before I was on prep, honestly, I, but, but when you're on prep, you have to go in every three months for testing. So I get tested every three months. Um, I'm generally fine. I use sex. Usually I use condoms usually for sex oh, in session. Yes, I do in my personal life. Uh, that is, is it a mental thing? Or is it purely physical? Is it a case of you like, you know, I think it's so many things. I really do think it feels better. Although I feel like energetically there's something going on there that's like very powerful. And I feel like just mentally it feels very taboo and naughty, which makes it like a little, which makes it more hot. Um, If you sleep with 300 new men a year, is it possible I think the average Joe and the average Jane would say, is it possible for you to have a fairly normal in terms of the emotional giving and receiving of common or garden love with somebody if, you know, you're in and out of bed with 300 other men? How do personal relationships work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
I've been really lucky in my career to have lots of long-term partners who really support my work. Like, yeah, emotionally support me. Um, I was polyamorous for the first seven years that I worked. I, I started this work with a primary partner and had him for four years. And while I was with him, I div- fell in love with other folks and developed partnerships with them. So for seven years, almost consistently, I had two, three, or four deep, meaningful, connected partnerships at a time. And they were full committed partnerships. Like I knew their parents, my parents knew them. Um, They were full, just like you would consider any other boyfriend. But I had two or three or four of those at a time for seven years. Um, And I also had lovers in my personal life. Um during those seven years also. So I obviously have a big capacity for relationship and um, for loving people and for having um, fun, playful lover lover situations also in my private life, in my personal life. Um, Yeah, and my partners during that time were also... Yeah, they were very supportive of my work. And a lot of my regular clients have met those partners. So I would host client provider mixers and my partners would come. Um, I have an event that I host twice a year called Babylonian Rites that I host it with two other providers, Elizabeth and Megan. And um, I've had partners come to those. So my regular clients who come to that event have also met my partners. So almost all my partners have met um my my clients at least during that seven years now in the last year in 2017 I um transitioned out of all of my partnerships it just polyamory just didn't feel like my truth anymore and I just um yeah I just wanted something different and now what I'm looking for and I so I am dating now I'm on the tinder and what I'm looking for now is a life partner um, I just had a very beautiful partnership with a man who lives in the Canary Islands. So that's we're in the we're transition at transitioning out of primary partnership now. But with him, what I had and what I'm looking for is a primary partnership where we each only have each other as partners, but we're we're able to have other lovers, um, other meaningful, caring, loving connections. But I just don't want to have multiple partnerships, and I don't want my partner to have other committed relationships that he's in outside of ours. So I just want to say, I just want to say this other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really just have this crazy idea that I get to have a relationship and I've also have it, had it proven over and over and over again by partners that, that it's true that I get to have a relationship that even though this is my job, I still get to have a full life complete with everything I want in it. I mean, I guess I just really have this crazy idea that I get to have everything I want. Why do you think that many people would think that that's pretty impossible? You've proven uh, to yourself that you can have that. You can have um, somebody who is emotionally committed to you whilst you still do the work that you do. Why do you think that a lot of people just think that's just like pretty impossible? Well, it's not, it's clearly not traditional. Um, It's like very outside of the traditional norms. And so, yeah, I'm date, yeah. And a lot of people that I'm attracted to are, are, can be kind of traditional people. I mean, most people fall into, you know, um, consciously or unconsciously fall into the bounds of society. Society has some pretty firm rules about what you do when you're in a relationship, including monogamy. And, um, yeah, so I'm just always trying to find someone who's going to buck the system with me and you really have to be brave to buck the system like that. And I also am very public about my work. So my partner can, can tell his parents or can tell his family, whatever about what I do. He can tell them I'm a sex therapist or whatever he wants to tell them. He can tell them I'm a web designer, whatever he wants to tell them, but I'm not, and I'm, I'm fine. Like upholding those those stories but in these limited in those limited contexts but for the most part I'm very out like I've been in Newsweek I've been on the cover of the New York Times magazine like yeah I've I'm 
I'm out. My, I have no problem showing my face in association to discussions about this work, about decriminalization of prostitution, about normalizing sex work. So it's a lot. It's, you know, someone really has to like be brave <laughs> or just, I, I, to me, it's not bravery. It's just my natural way. So maybe it just has to be their natural way to want to say, fuck you to the system. Cause the system is fucking all of us, to be honest. Hmm. Um, if your work is decriminalized tomorrow, what would be the biggest change that you'd notice? Mm, so many. Um, yeah, I mean, it would change my life dramatically for me not to have to be a criminal. And I'm saying that as a person who carries a ton of privilege, like layers upon layers of privilege. So for the people that are the most marginalized among us, trans sex workers, sex workers of color, trans sex workers of color, um, this could literally be saving lives. Like the fact that we're criminalized contributes to death and violence against us all the time. But with the privilege that you acknowledge that you hold, how would you going about your daily life, how would decriminalization change that? Not talking about the good of humanity and, and, sure. and other sex workers, you personally. Sure. Um, it would make it easier for me to pay my taxes. It would make it easier for me to be, yeah, to explain where my money comes from. Um, criminalization makes it harder for me to report a crime if something happens against me. Um, just in the very basics of talking to my clients, like when new people call, I can't say the, the specific services I provide. There's no, there's no ability to talk in any way about what we actually do. So everything is kind of like read between the lines. When I worked in Europe, in the UK specifically, where it's legal, it's regulated, but it's legal. Um, people could just say, do you have anal sex? And I could say yes or no. And that wouldn't like scare me to think that this person could be a cop that's trying to entrap me. Mm. Um I'm not afraid of policing that much, honestly, because of my privilege. I'm a white presenting woman in my 40s, so the cops aren't really worried about me. I'm not a law enforcement target. I should knock on wood. But in but I, I've never been bothered by law enforcement, and I, I, I just don't... I'm, I'm not a target. Um, so... You know, I don't have to worry about policing as much as many, many, many other sex workers, prostitutes do. Um, but even, even still, it would make it would make my life much easier. What type of man do you think um, is comfortable with having a partner who isn't just a prostitute but also has in meaningful emotional relationships with her clients and also is very clear that you know she enjoys her work what type of man is going to be able to be um, in a more so we say traditional in terms of commitment emotional commitment type of relationship with you I'm not really sure how to answer that. I mean, I've had partners who are all over the spectrum as far as age, profession, um, ethnic background. Um, but I guess I would say one common thread is that they're all kind of rebellious. <laughs> um, artists or creatives in some way. Uh, non-monogamous themselves for the most part um, and just you know what's so important my last partner the one I'm still separating with transitioning out of primary partnership with uh, his name is Jonathan and he is a poet and 
I just really felt like he could see me. He could see who I was in the world. And we had this really strong mushroom journey together last summer. And he told me, he said, I can see the way you inspire love in everyone around you. And then he said, you're the one the poets have been writing about for thousands of years. You're that woman. So, yeah, it has to be someone with a capacity to see my magic, to see the priestess in me, the goddess, the witch, also the vulnerable little girl, the the full range of me, my flaws, my beauty, all of it. I'm I'm just a human like anybody else, you know. Hmm. And what other than him seeing you, what are you giving him? What are you giving him? Well, my love is very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great partner. I just give so much love. I mean, I just yeah, I love to nourish and care for and support and uphold my man. I love to see him as my king. I love to see him as a powerful person doing amazing work in the world. Um yeah, I mean, I'm not a perfect partner <laughs> as a deeply flawed human myself. I'm I have a lot of things that come up that are hard when I'm really in love with someone and I feel vulnerable and scared and you know all these things can come up too but I am a very loving caring partner and very supportive like also if I love you I'll support you to the end of the earth so your job is to make men feel comfortable um, before you sleep with them how do you have a first date with somebody? <laughs> you know, this is like very real. <laughs> this is a very real problem for me actually. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I yeah, this dating right now has really been interesting and is showing me a lot about myself. And you know, I really just love to be intimate with people right away. And, you know, that doesn't always work very well for um, long-term dating. Um, yeah, I mean, even with Jonathan, uh, we had our first date at my house. <laughs> it was on a Friday and he didn't leave till a Sunday, but we just like stayed home and yeah, had lots of really beautiful, deep sex. Um, we also talked out all of our traumas and <laughs> everything. So it's like, I want all of that to go together. I want it to be like lots of beautiful lovemaking, lots of deep talk about our past and our traumas and our exes and our parents and spirituality and what we think happens when we die. And yeah, I just, <laughs> I want all that intensity, like right on the first date, which is kind of a lot. Um, yeah, I uh, I sometimes do have dates with people where I just go out to eat and then we have a good night kiss and that's really sweet. I, I love that. Um, I really love talking to people, so I love. I also love first dates that don't that don't involve sex, um, but it's just very easy for me to just start with intimacy obviously because that's how <laughs> that's the way I meet a lot of people so at work so it's very it feels very natural for me also also I have to okay this is a separate thing I mm -hmm. have to say that as I'm speaking all these things I'm only one person not all sex workers feel like this by any means like um, my it, like I think the saying goes if you've talked to one sex worker you know about you know the experience of one sex worker, right? It's like sex workers do not all feel the same way. This is not uh, the things I'm saying to you. I don't think are common across the board of sex workers or uncommon. They're just mine. So if there is, so if there's uh, somebody out there, right, maybe listening to to this podcast, that, that might live in uh, San Jose or Oakland or in the Bay Area, and they go crumps. Right, this woman sounds somewhat formidable. Right, um, how should they prepare for a, for a first date with you? 
don't get me wrong, right? You, you're incredibly honest and very forthright. But being so honest and so forthright up front uh, could maybe knock somebody, take you know, knock somebody back a, a step or two. All right. So, um, tell me uh, what that person wanting to have a first date with you should maybe do to woo and entice you oh that's such a good question um yeah i mean i have to say that it's like really important to me that i feel charmed and inspired uh if anyone wants to talk to me and they're not bringing me if they're not bringing to the table as much magic as i feel like i am then i'm not going to be interested so yeah they have to have something inspiring going on in their life something that's going to move me um and yeah, because I also feel like I'm very charming and inspiring. So I want that. I want that in return. Um, yeah, I just want to be really seen for who I am. And I want someone who's capable of seeing, seeing past all the societal baggage, all the societal stigma, the messaging, the programming. Like I want someone to be able to see, to see through all of that, to see that I'm doing really great work in the world. Yeah, it's not obviously not every person <laughs> that can get to that place. And I obviously I'm not for every person. Every person is not for me. But the people who are out there that are able to do that, those are the people that I want to meet and those are the people that I want to build a life with. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.